Shalom and welcome back to another edition of Torah Awakeness Podcast. I am your host, Mikhail Ben Yaakov. And um, this week we're going to, this is extremely late, but I wanted to make sure I got this out because I'm determined to stay true to getting through this entire um, Torah cycle, you know, and despite how many setbacks, how much I've had going on, I'm still determined to get this out. So I wanted to make sure that I put this out, especially before tomorrow, because tomorrow um, actually is, well, actually this week we're in Devarim, which is the first few chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. But um, I want to make sure I close numbers out before I jumped into that. So I'm going to go ahead and um, do this. And so this week is, uh, well, last week was actually Parashat Matot Masai. And so this was a... Um, a double portion <clears throat> we got we've actually had quite a, a few of them um just from the time that we started um it's, it's, it's crazy how many we've had i'm like thinking about it i'm like do we have this many the last you know last year like in this frequency and really can't even remember but i know there are because as i said you know we have to double up because of the um holy days and some holy days require specific readings for that week so because of that, we have to compensate by doubling up, you know, throughout the year so that that way, by the time we get to the end of the year, then the entire Torah cycle has been completed, you know, and that's a, a every year thing. So as we get to the end of um, Bamid Bar, which is the Hebrew word that we translate as numbers, and it's funny. Um, I was listening to somebody talk about this and thought it was kind of interesting to discuss this, you know. Um, in the English culture, we call it numbers because of the fact that as it starts off, it begins dealing with the numbers of the tribes and how many, you know, from this tribe, how many from that tribe. And so that, that's how I got the name numbers. But in the Hebrew, it's Bamidbar, which is translated as wilderness or in the wilderness. And pretty much the whole Torah is, is named like that. We have, like, we call, um, Genesis. Genesis because it's the beginnings um but in the Hebrew it's Bereshit which is in the beginning you know so usually a certain word or phrase within the first couple of verses is chosen to be the name of the book like Exodus for example we call it Exodus because this is the book where the people make the Exodus from Egypt into um across the Red Sea but in the Hebrew it's Shemot which is names because it talks about the names of the of the 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 tribes and stuff like that. And then you have um Devarim, um, which we call um Deuteronomy, which I think that's uh Deuter that's two I'm not my Latin is kind of fuzzy, but it's two something or two covenants or something like that. But in um Devarim, which is um and he spoke so anyway, that's that's how the names came about. Is that right? And he spoke. Yeah, I think it's and he spoke. But anyway, I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But as we get into um, this parashat, um, you know, it, it deals with um, it begins dealing with the you know vows that are made by men and women and whatnot, you know, and it really gets into women, the vow of women, you know, like if a woman makes a vow. Like, let's say during the time that she's in her father's house, um, if her father gets wind of it, 
and forbids her to do it. The moment he does, you know, the vow that she made to God is annulled because of the fact that he's her covering, you know, and or, or, and her head. And if he forbids it, she can't do it. But if he allows it, he can't come back at a later day and say, you know what? I thought about it and I changed my mind. No, you can't do this because if he does that, then he's accountable for it, you know, and then it gets into the same thing with a husband. If a woman marries a man and he gets wind of a, a vow that she made, if he forbids it upon hearing it, then all debts are clean. She's not obligated to that vow in any kind of way. However, if he does not um, forbid her from doing this, and he decides at a later date, he want to come back and say, you know, I thought about that vow and now nah, I'm not feeling that he can't do that. You know, he's he, he'd be held accountable for it if he does it, you know, so it really gets into it. And, and, and the vows are very serious. You know, you make a vow to God. It's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it, you know. And so that's kind of, you know, getting into that. Um, as we go a little further, we get into... And this is where it gets good. We get into uh, Midian. And Midian, we talked about that last week. You remember where um, the Midianites uh, was named Balak. He had Balaim. Um, uh, what he, he had him come down because he wanted him to curse Israel and everything because he was really worried about them. And now what's funny, in the, in, during that time, Israel had no intentions on attacking Midian. Matter of fact, if you remember, Moses' wife was a Midianite, you know, because Jethro was the uh, the priest of Midian, you know, so they were, they had good relations, you know, with them, but it wasn't until Balak decided he wanted to try to curse Israel because he was so worried about them, and he had Balaim come up and try to um, curse the people that it began to be a problem, and so ultimately what happened is that uh, Jehovah forbade Balaim um, from, uh, cursing the people, you know, cause he says, you, you know, you can't curse without bless. So he forbade, forbade this from happening. However, um, when after, um, Balak got fed up saying that he wasn't going to curse him, he began to say, you know what, you, you got to go, just get out of here. So he, he put him out, but not before Balaim came back and said, Hey, you know what, you know, I can't curse them, but you can make them become a curse for yourself. And so he gave them the idea about sending the women down to uh, seduce the men and cause the men to make themselves a curse. And so ultimately, um, this is what happened. And the result was that, you know, the plague came, a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of people were killed. Then you had this one last guy coming in with his Midianite woman about to go do his thing. And Pichas, the grandson of Aaron, saw that and Understanding what was going on, how upset Jehovah was about what was happening and what was happening to the people in terms of the plague and the lives being lost. He was hot. He was really incensed by it and went and killed both of them right there on the spot. And we talked about how God had given him a pact of friendship or given his his lineage, the priesthood forever because of his zeal. And so right now it gets into the vengeance on Midian, you know, so um, they because this went on. You know, it was the, the green light was on the head of the Midianites. Hey, go in there and destroy everybody, you know. So they went in and they did just that. They wiped out everybody. However, they brought the women back, you know, and Moses was like, wait a minute, you bringing these women back. These are the same women that caused y'all to fall in the first place. So they came up with the idea. You know what? The only women that you're going to keep 
that you're going to spare are the virgins who have not known a man because they weren't part of that. But everybody else, they have to go. They're out of here, you know, because of the fact that they would be a stumbling block to um, the people. And then it kind of gets into after the battle, how they had divvied up the the cattle between the people and then had some set aside for uh, Yehovah, you know. And so it kind of goes on in, into detail about that right there. Um, another interesting aspect of this was uh, the tribe of Reuben and Gad. You know, they they wanted to settle in Gilead because they were like, you know, this land is perfect. You know, we have cattle. This is a good place to, you know, feed your cattle. You know, they can graze and it's, it's good land. You know, we don't want to go across the, the, the Jordan because this is good land right here. And so they went and they spoke that to Moses and Moses was like, wait a minute, hold on. You don't want to what? You want to stay where? And they were really upset because he was like, if I let you guys stay here and the rest of Israel see that, you know, you're going to cause all kind of drama. You know what I'm saying? Because and, and, and division. And you remember what happened 40 years ago? You know, a bad decision was made. And as a result, the people were wiped out. And, you know, we were on the bad. We were on the wrong end of Jehovah's wrath. And so the, the people were like, well, look, this is what we're saying. You know, let us keep this place. And this will be our inheritance on this side of the Jordan. And then what happened is we'll go with you guys to battle. And we'll help you guys in the battle to take all the land that Jehovah has given us. And once the battle is, the battles are finished and we have defeated everybody and the land is allocated, they'll have their land and we'll come back to our land. You know, but we'll come when it's time to fight. We'll come. And Moses wanted to make sure they fully understood when it's time to battle. I need y'all to go. And it was like, not only will we go, we'll lead the way, but just let us have this land, you know. And so Moses agreed to let them have it with the understanding that when it was time to go, they'd be the first one ready. And so they was like, hey, bet, you know, we got this. And so they were given that land because they the land was really beautiful. It was plenty. It was a good spot, you know. So, um. It, it was a good deal. It was a good deal. But I know initially Moses was really upset because he's thinking, if I do this and let y'all not go, you know, uh, this could really cause a problem for Israel, you know, and, and they're sensitive enough as it is, you know, trying to get them motivated to go. That's a hard enough battle. I don't want to go back to what we went through, because although they might not, they being the younger generation might not really remember clearly what took place he does and he's like i'm not about to go through this again that's just not about to happen you know so they made the deal that they would do this and it was like okay so be it you know so you can't have the land but remember when it's time to go y'all gotta go and so then now it's to the point where they are preparing um to head out or whatever and so Moses spends, you know, the whole time recounting the time that they left Egypt until now, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea and all the moves they went to going to Mount Sinai when God spoke the covenant to them and all the things that happened, them going around, them getting finally to the land, the spies being chosen and sent out and everything like that and all the different places they set up at and, you know, all the the, the whole plight of Israel. He gets into all of that, you know. <laughs> Um, and then, um, he begins to get into, um, them dealing with, um, what else was that? They, they dealt with, um, oh, they, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. They, they also dealt with, uh, the loss of Aaron, the loss of Miriam, because I think who died first, Miriam died first. 
and then Aaron died. So he kind of recounted all of that, you know, and then it goes down to Jehovah spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And he said, tell the people of Israel, when you cross the Jordan, the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you are to expel all the people living in the land from in front of you. Destroy all their stone figures, destroy all the metal statues and demolish all their high places. And so the reason he wanted that done was because if they left that stuff there or left any of the people alive, it would become a stumbling block for the people. You know, and so some people read this like, you know, God is really cruel because he wiped those people out. But it was the things that the people were doing prior to this point that judgment was on them. And so God was like, OK, these people are not worthy of this land. I'm going to put my people in this good place. You know, so it wasn't that he was being unmerciful or whatever. And then the people had to go because, again, if they did not go. And they spare them, they will become a stumbling block once again for the people. And so you kind of think about in our lives, you know, things that will cause us to stumble, we need to get rid of because if we don't, those same things that we let stay in our midst are those same things that will bring us down. And so we have to have that mindset that no matter what happens, I'm letting this go because I don't want this to become a stumbling block in my walk with God or I don't want, want it to be a thing that's going to um, separate me from him because of the facts of the choices or the bad choices that I made, you know? And so that's kind of one of the things I gathered from that as I thought about this. But usually whenever he sends them to a place to take the land, he always tells them, destroy these high places. Don't even learn their ways because if you learn their ways at some point, it's going to be in your mind. You're going to go and you're going to be curious about it. You're going to do something and, you know, participate in it. Or in, involve yourself in it. And before you know it, you're caught up. And that's a whole nother problem. And so it's he's always forbade the people from getting caught up with these things. Um, and then we get into setting the boundaries for the land. So he begins to tell Moses, okay, this is your territory. So he, he outlines their entire territory. And what's really interesting is we see here, and this is thousands of years ago, that this land, this much desired land, is given to the Jews and it dates back. I mean, you read the Bible and it dates back thousands of years, but you have the Palestinians or some of these other Arab communities and stuff like that. And everybody is really hard pressed. They want this land. The Jews don't have a right to it. Dude, if you look in the Bible and the Bible is the three major faiths are connected to the Bible. You have the, the, the Hebrews, uh, I mean the, the Jews, you have the Muslims and you have the Christians. The, these are the three major faiths and they're all connected to the Bible. And it's funny, these same people, they, they can, they can't, they contest Israel's right to be there. And now they're like, well, they need to share it with the Palestinians. It's not, the, but it's like, no, this whole land belongs to them. And even though Muslims occupy the Dome of the Rock, which is sitting where the temple should have been, that is Israel's territory. But they, to hear them tell it, this land does not belong to the Jews. You know, it belongs to us. And even after the war, when they when they took back over, um, after they became a nation, they actually took over that. And they, they had that. But the Arabs are so upset because that land was taken from taken back from them that the Jews are like, OK, for the sake of peace, you guys can have this. And I think that was one of the biggest mistakes because God had given them this land to the point that the land that was given to them. Even the land that was divided between the tribes, they were not, other tribes could not 
owned that land. This land was the land of Naphtali. Only the descendants of Naphtali can have this. You can't sell it. You can't get more. This is your land, period. Make this work. The land of Gad, of Reuben, this is yours. Make it work. So it's not their land to give away because God has given that to them. And because he's given it to them and, and allowed them to stay there, they technically don't have the right to give it away, but they gave it away. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. But at the same time, I think because of biblical prophecy, it had to be done this way for all the other things that are going to happen to happen. But nonetheless, the bulk of the territory, the way it's outlined here in Numbers 34, 1 through 15, um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they own all of that. A lot of that land is owned by other Muslims and stuff like that, you know, and in the name of keeping the peace, you know, but they're not on their full territory as it was given to them right here. But Moses kind of gets into that, you know, um, and then as you go a little further, we get into the naming of the um, the tribal chiefs. So each tribe had a chief. Somebody was supposed to be over that 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 lineage. Um, then we get into the description of the portion that would be given to the Levites because although the Levites were not given a portion because the priesthood was their portion, they were given the ability to be able to, or the right to be able to live anywhere within the 12 tribes or the, you know, the, the 11 tribes and stuff like that and call home. And this was their spot, you know, um, where they can have their, you know, their build their homes and whatever. Um, and then we get into the city of refuge and the city of refuge is very interesting because the city of refuge is a place where if somebody accidentally kills another, right? Because of the fact that he killed somebody, the blood avenger being the, this, the descendant of the person that was killed, you know, would be in his rights to kill the person um, because, you know, he killed their descendant. And so this is a place that was allotted throughout the tribes where if somebody accidentally killed somebody, they can go to a city of refuge and this place, they will be safe from the blood avenger. The blood avenger cannot come into that place where he's at to that city of refuge and he would be safe there until such a time as the high priest has died. Now, once the high priest has died, he's able to go back to his people and he, you know, the blood avenger can no longer touch him. But during the time that, that priest is alive, if he leaves, then he will be killed, you know. And so it's interesting that um, God has given him that, you know, given them this place because some people, like I said, the the um, people that are actually guilty of killing people, you know, there's no hope for them. You're, you're done. You're out of here. You're, you're going to be killed on a spot. You can't go to the city of refuge and be safe because you're a murderer. But if it's unintentional, it's totally different. You know, so God has made provision for those that are technically innocent, but not innocent, if that makes sense. You killed him, but it was accident. But yet and still, this accident resulted in this person's death. And so the family member might not want to be so merciful. So they're like, OK, in this particular case, we'll give you this plot of land and you go here. And you can make that home and you can be safe there. And I just think that was a really good idea. I think that was really wise right there. Um, And then we get into, last but not least, um, marriage and um, female heirs. Um, And so I think this was really interesting. I, we, I think we talked about this last week, if I'm not mistaken. But the daughters of the guy, um, because prior to this point... um. 
And I and, and what I like most about this is that God doesn't give his leaders every single detail. I mean, he could, but he doesn't. Some things you have to find out based on a circumstance that pops up. And just because you had to figure it out because or, or you know, I guess um, learn what to do because of a situation popped up does not mean that Jehovah did not know it's going to pop up. It's just it just means that he gave you what you needed. And when something else popped up, he said, oh, well, in this case, this is what happens. And so this was the case here. Um, and yeah, we did talk about this last week, but I'm going to wrap it up with this. So usually the inheritance of the father went to the sons. And I'm pretty sure that from the time this began to be how they did things until now, there were plenty of cases where there were men who did not have any sons and had daughters and everything like that. And, you know, some, I mean, I, I have no idea what happened, but um, I'm sure it didn't stay with the daughters. You know what I'm saying? Somebody just made a decision. Well, we just do this or whatever the case might be. But by this point, you know, Moses um, was talking about, you know, how the air, how, how, how the airs, how you deal with the airs or whatever the case might be. And so um, it went into talking about that, you know, there was a, a guy named Salofahad and he had two, he had a few daughters and the daughters, they were like, well, wait a minute, you know, our father, he didn't have any sons so why should his his bloodline be lost because he didn't have any daughters and so i mean he didn't have any sons so they took that to moses who took it to jehovah and jehovah said well in the case of in the situation like this if he has daughters it would go to his daughters and they begin to say if there's no 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 daughter no kids then it would go to their brother or you know but ultimately the focus is that it would stay in the bloodline um so that it wouldn't be given over to another tribe, you know, and that's the whole, the whole thing. Um, but, um, in, in numbers 36 and three, it says, if they get married to anyone belonging to another tribes, an, um, another of the tribes of the people of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken away from their inheritance will be taken away from their inheritance of our ancestors and be added to the inheritance of the tribe that they belong to. Thus, it will be taken away from the sum total of our inheritance. And when the jub- the jubilee of the people of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the land possessed by the tribe. They will then belong to and be um, subtracted from the inheritance belonging to the tribe of our ancestors. So ultimately, with all this that's going on and stuff like that, you know, Jehovah set up a, 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 a process to make sure that no matter what happened, because if the woman is the heir because there were no, 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 um, brother, no son, you know, no brothers to get it. So she's a sister and she got it. If she was to marry somebody outside the tribe, like, okay, we have to figure out what we could do with this inheritance because we don't want it to go. Because if she has a, if she marries a guy from another tribe and they have a child, you know, I'm saying a son, you know, then, um, he's going to inherit everything that went to, um, his father, but, the mother, she would still retain what came from her 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 father. So that would go back to her bloodline. So she was from the tri- the tribe of Asher, and she married somebody from the tribe of Reuben, and they had a son. The father, who was from the of the tribe of Reuben, he would give him his son what he had. But as far as what came from the mother's side, who obtained hers from her father, it would go back to her family. Or to her nearest kinsman. So that way it stays within the family of Asher and his stays in the family of Reuben. 
you know. So I thought that was really awesome how Jehovah set that up. But the whole goal was to make sure that no matter what happened, everybody's property, their possession stayed with who it was supposed to be with. So there was no mixing or whatever the case might be, you know. And I don't know. I, I really like that. I, I like that that idea, you know. Um, I think that that's something we it, it's sad that we don't have anything like that, you know. Uh, I think if we did, I think our society would be a lot better because everything that was given to the father, when he passed on, you give to a son. So that bloodline always had possession. They always had property. They had homes. You know what I'm saying? Whereas today, if your father dies and doesn't have anything, the son doesn't get anything. The son is forced to go get his own, get established or whatever the case might be. He'll get established, gain some things. He'll die. In some cases, he passes on and he his kids have to grow up and start the process over again. You know, and so I think that if we had a process like this, a system like this, I think it would benefit us because, you know, our, our, our posterity, our seed would always have a place to call their home, call their own, you know. So anyway... That's pretty much where I'm going to end this at. Um, even though this was a two, um, uh, a two, um, a, a double portion, don't want to go too long into it. I just want to just hit on the high points of it. Plus the fact I want to, you know, make sure I have more time to focus on um, Devarim tomorrow. But I just wanted to make sure that I did put this out there and put some pretty decent stuff out there. So I pray that this was a blessing to you guys. And I will see you guys again tomorrow. Yehovah willing. Yevarecha Yehovah vayishmarecha. Yeher Yehovah panavalecha v'necha. Yisai Yehovah panavanecha. Yasim lecha shalom.